0: joining me now to discuss is David Sirota. David Sirota, you were the first person that popped
1: into my brain when I heard Fourth Amendment. Does
0: that have David Sirota worry?
1: Boston Globe has now started picking up and running with a potentially politically deadly story that was first unearthed by the great David Sirota. God bless this guy, David Sirota. I love that guy. David Sirota's not a journalist. He's a hack. Even the New York Times has called you a populist rabble rouser. okay? Are you a Che Guevara? Are you a Che Guevara for our age? Uh, And you look forward to a day when college students wear your face on their shirt and don't know what you did? So it's another week, another discussion with the great Thomas Frank. Uh, There's plenty to discuss. Uh, We're going to talk about Larry Summers. We're going to talk about a Super Bowl ad. We're going to talk about fact-checking and the truth. And we're going to talk about uh, the $2,000 checks or otherwise known as the $1,400 means-tested overly complex checks uh, that keep apparently becoming smaller and smaller. But let's start this week's discussion with what has gone on with Larry Summers. Now, for those who don't know who Larry Summers is, Larry Summers has a long and illustrious career career of continuing to fall higher and higher uh, in American politics. That's th- that's the amazing thing about him, that I saw uh, one reporter say no one has uh, risen uh, more uh, quickly or consistently than Larry Summers despite the record of Larry Summers. Uh, Larry Summers, people might remember him, he was the treasury secretary under Bill Clinton who yeah. was a champion of the deregulation, the Wall Street deregulation, that ended up blowing up the global economy in 2008. Uh, when that happened, Larry Summers was rewarded with a top job in the Obama administration. Uh, he You're, had, oh,
0: wait, wait, you've skipped a step there, Mr.
1: Sirota. He was the president of Harvard. That's University. right, I did. <laughs> right, right. And, and, and at Harvard, he... Uh, apparently the, he had a scandal there. Do you remember this? This is about are women smart or, yeah, women or they, they can't be smart? Yeah, the, the,
0: the problem of the the mystery of of why there are so few women economists.
1: That's right. That's right. And he did a stint at a hedge fund. Uh, yeah, but they all do that, That's... of course. But but okay, so. Mr. Deregulation. Anyway,
0: when, do, when, do, when do I get my, my time in the hedge fund? You know,
1: I've, I've worked hard in the
0: vineyards of the Democratic Party. When do I get my hedge fund days? Seriously. That's a joke. A joke. I, know, I, I know. But they do all get that. This is one of these weird, um, uh, you no. know, this weird these weird phenomena that you, you try to, you know. Uh,
1: You're not run. a real elite Democrat unless you've been at a hedge fund shorting the economy. I mean, that's obviously, obviously true. Yeah. Uh, yeah. so, so Summers helps create the policies that blow up the economy. He does a stint at Harvard, a stint at a hedge fund. He gets rewarded when the economy blows up in part because of the policies that he championed. He gets rewarded with a top job in the Obama administration. And his defining imprint on the Obama administration is that he was the leading voice inside the administration to make sure that the stimulus was smaller than it needed to be, the stimulus bill. And that ended up delivering an economic recovery that was the weakest recovery in the entire post-war period. So and, again,
0: and, and also that, that, that Democrats really, this was a blunder that they really paid for uh, in the, uh, you know, in the, in the midterms of 2010, which, you know, gave us a Republican Congress that only just went down a short while ago. I mean, a Republican Congress that was in for quite a while, That's right. uh, it's sort of overwhelming Republican victory that year. Uh, and that was, uh, you know, uh, you can, you can, um, ascribe that to whatever, you know, you know how liberals, they, they always brush it off you know, Republicans are just bad people. Okay. Fair enough. But it's also it was a uh, it was a repudiation of of uh, you know I've never seen in my lifetime I've never seen a reversal like that where Obama comes in uh, in 2009 you know after he wins the election this beloved figure with a a real mandate you know a, a real overwhelming mandate and and he is you know he's like a superstar all over the world and then two years later the country turns against him. That's right. That's right. In this in this way that uh, you know was was really was really startling and and a big part of that is because uh with that he squandered his mandate and i know the republicans don't play fair and i know that they were obstructionists i know all that they but but they did that for a reason because they know that in american politics when you um, you know when you don't deliver this is what happens the public turns against you by the way david the uh, i'm i'm fairly heartened by the by the fact that the Biden people appear to have learned that lesson. Well, let, 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 right.
1: So let's get to that story. So Summers, okay. You know, deregulation. Yeah. Create, cr- helps. Can I, the, but fun- wait, before you go, keep.
0: Can I tell you about the first time I ever like learned who he was? Please. It, so I'm I'm older than you, and it was in the late '90s. And I was writing, I was studying, you know, Wall Street and the, the economy of the late 90s. It was this time of, of insane euphoria. And they put him in as, and Bill Clinton was president, and they put uh, Larry Summers in as Treasury Secretary right towards the end of Clinton's administration. And I remember watching a speech that he gave where he was enthusing about the new economy. <laughs> and this was when they were deregulating. They were they were going to overturn the Glass-Steagall Act, which had been a dream of the sort of uh, investment banking community for since time immemorial. And now that w- they were really gonna do it, it was within their grasp and they, they were gonna get it done. And I remember watching a speech from Summers when they were doing this and it was just, um, it was just all of this kind of new economy bullshit, you know, that he was clearly either had bought into, I think he's too intelligent to have bought into it, but it seemed like he had, because he was trying to speak the rhetoric of the bubble days. And uh, and I saw that speech and I was like who is this
1: guy? And that's that's the first time I ever became aware of him. And that's who Larry Summers is. So Larry Summers popped his head up once again. So remember, after deregulation, the financial crisis, too small stimulus tw- 2009, weakest economic recovery in the post-war period, a political shellacking in 2010. Uh, After those policies, weak policies were put into place. Larry Summers is back on the scene. He was spurned uh, by the Obama, uh, excuse me, by the Biden administration for a job. And so he has of late been appearing in the media. and, And of course, side note, no matter how many failures you have, no matter how much destruction you create if you are in the club you are in the club you are still granted media platforms so summers continues to be granted a large media platforms uh, he was on bloomberg news a couple weeks ago he introduced the idea injected it into the debate on a bloomberg during a bloomberg news appearance to say that the $2000 checks should be smaller so he was the architect of that troll after democrats had promised that and now he's back on the scene with an op-ed in the washington post essentially arguing that the biden administration shouldn't push as big a stimulus as it's been pushing for fear that the economy will be overheated so this is really a redux (laughs) of summers from 2009 and now to the good news as you alluded to that So Summers, once again, redux 2009. I think there's something to be annoyed with, which is like, why is this guy still being given a platform? Why is he still being treated as credible? But right at the end of the week, Summers puts this up. Classic situation happens. Politico tweets out. So, of course, everybody in Washington is abuzz with this at the West Wing. Folks in Biden's West Wing are reading Larry Summers' piece this morning about uh, making sure that the stimulus is smaller. And so this was like – this morning it was was like, oh, man, we're going to go through this again. But here's the good news. Today, right after the Politico tweet went out, Biden's people went out at the press briefing. Jared Bernstein, who I happen to know, good guy – Basically, they threw cold water on the whole thing. They basically flipped off Larry Summers. They basically <laughs> said, uh, it's, now is not the time to go small. We learned our lesson in 2009. We're going big. Now, look, I, I perfectly expect that my heart will be broken at some point later, right? Like, maybe they're not going to fully follow through. But the fact that Larry Summers was out there trying in his spiteful way to undermine what needs to be done. And he got smacked down. I mean, Tom, am I wrong? Like, is that like, is like that didn't this happen a, during wait, the Obama this administration.
0: Is a, this is a reason to be hopeful.
1: Yes. <laughs> this is, uh, you know,
0: I, I uh, uh, nice, nice going Jared Bernstein. Although I, you know, the, 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 the Larry Summers op-ed now I read it this morning and it's already, you know, so much stuff happens these days that I might've already forgotten parts, but, but doesn't he acknowledge in it, that the Obama stimulus was too small doesn't yes. Summers himself acknowledge yes. that, yes. Yes. which makes it really peculiar that he's arguing to, uh, to, to 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 you know to cut this one down to size as well. And and the response that that I've seen from uh, you know from from various people around D.C. is is actually pretty heartening. You know, Summers' fear, which is, I mean, let's be honest, the fear of his generation. Yes. Is that inflation is going to come back. This is all when you talk to people of that, of a certain age, that is always what they, what, you know, because they came up in the 1970s. And, you know, inflation was this, you know, inflation was thought to be the, uh, the thing that, 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 that trumped or that disproved, um, the new deal, you know, welfare state liberalism. You couldn't have, you really couldn't have welfare state liberalism because of inflation. And, um, look we haven't had serious inflation in in our economy in a really long time it just seems like a a, a silly thing to be worrying about at this point i mean let's say it does uh, materialize in a year or so then you can you know do something about it then but uh that that's that's the fear that uh that biden stimulus is too large uh and that it'll 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 overheat the economy and you'll get you'll get some version of inflation uh, and uh, I think I think that the, the Biden people are rightly saying, no, nope, we're not worried about that. That's the wrong thing to be worried about. <laughs> We've got <laughs> bigger problems now than the you know the the nightmare of the 1970s, which truth be told wasn't even all that bad.
1: I mean, I have to say, I I I am really pleasantly surprised. I I think that the interesting thing is there was a there was a Bloomberg news story uh, earlier this week that I found. Extremely uh, fascinating politically because this is a story that said that the White House is considering reducing the number of people and means testing the $1,400 checks. But what was interesting about the story was – because it's related to this Summers situation – was at the top of the story, there were two White House economists, Heather Boushey and David Kamen who were essentially floating out these arguments that were worried it's going to cost too much and it might crowd out our other spending priorities and the like. And then at the bottom of the story was was this line about how Biden understands the imperative of delivering on the political promise. He understands the need to go bold. Now, what's interesting well, there you about this, there you go. There you go. That's really important. Except for two things. And this is what I want you to respond to, which is that, one— those two white house economists didn't just leak their views to bloomberg news in other words it was a it was a you have to assume this is being coordinated i've worked on campaigns i mean that's how it works right like the white house essentially my guess is put up the two economists in from inside the white house to float the trial balloon of like Hey, maybe, maybe means testing these checks is good. Let's see what kind of a response we get. But we'll also make sure to portray the president as the good guy. Like there's a kind of a good cop, bad cop here. Yeah. Um, so that was one thing that's that that's kind of disturbing that they're clear, they're clearly playing footsie with this idea of maybe we should reduce the checks, right? They're still playing around there. But, but, but the other takeaway is that if it is true that Biden understands the political imperative, it means that even like He's not like some economic genius. I think he'd probably tell you that, right? He's not some intellectual, but like there's some part of his reptilian brain that has been a politician for like 4,000 <laughs> years. It's like, let me think. I, I like, I made a promise. Yeah, uh, I've got to deliver. Like giving no, lots you of nailed, people- I
0: thought you nailed this the other day with your, when you compared it to George W. Bush and the, uh, the read my lips thing. The, the $2,000 checks, I'm sorry. This was as, as, as a, uh, Uh, cut and dried a situation as you are likely to ever see in politics. He cannot wiggle out of it uh, no matter what anyone says. And and Uh, and
1: I'm saying he seems to understand that at some, like the reptilian part of his brain, if you read that Bloomberg story, seems to appreciate, like, I made a promise, I have to deliver. And he also seems to understand this other point, which is that giving lots of people money right now is good politics and that it's not good politics to reduce the number of people you're going to give money and benefits to and that what's amazing to me and this is the part I can't understand and maybe you can help me understand what fear political fear because they're politicians what fear do the Democrats who are still floating the idea of reducing the checks What is their actual fear? Because I'm trying to imagine, like, what's the campaign commercial? The Democrats gave too much money to the middle class. Like, like what are they actually afraid of? (laughs) So I, I, you know,
0: I think that there is this there's a a long running theme in the Democratic Party. You know, this is what I wrote about in Listen Liberal, uh, where they, you know, They see themselves as they are the party of of responsibility and of consensus. And, you know, they know how to govern and the Republicans don't. And uh, a big part of that is um, they're forever. Well, one thing is they're forever trying to reach consensus with the other side here in Washington. They think that's always the way to go. The other thing is that they really do care about the deficit, uh, you know, which is it, it seems like a silly thing to be worried about right now you know with uh, all of these different things You think they really care people. you know I kind of think they do they think that is you used to live here in DC you read the Washington Post every day the Washington Post is my um that that they're that the sort of um emblems of what responsible people in DC think they should care about and the post is always going on about uh, uh about the deficit and you remember one of the post's favorite hobby horses is um uh what they call entitlements—Social uh, Security and Medicare—and how they have to be reined in, in means-tested, in order to uh, uh, in order to get the deficit under control. This is always thought to be the height of, uh, of statesman-like responsibility when you acknowledge this. And the Post always is always saying things like, you know, responsible politicians of both parties know that this is the way it has to go. This is this is thought. They think this is what uh, this is what you do when you're responsible. <laughs> You know, is you, you means test something like this and you send out, you know, because you, you don't want to inflate the deficit too much. And uh, you're absolutely right. It's a, it's a silly thing to be concerned about right now. And there's all sorts of problems. Even if you accept the logic of means testing, there's all sorts of problems with the data that you would do it. You and I were talking about this uh, yesterday or the day before, I think there's all sorts of problems with how you go about it. Because you haven't taken into account all the people that have lost their jobs since the last time time they filed taxes, you know, and so you, you're you're immediately opening up uh, an extremely complicated can of worms. But then there's also the, uh, there's just the fact that 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 this certain kind of technocratic liberal loves the idea of means testing. They just absolutely love it. Well, you know, I, uh, I put it this it's, way. It's,
1: I put it this way. I feel like underneath even budget austerity ideology that democratic party politicians and elites believe at some again reptilian brain level that anything that is simple must be from simpletons that anything that is simple yeah, must good. inherently be primitive and bad uh, yeah. and that Complexity. They they, they definitely
0: yes. They love complexity for its own for its own sake. That is that is true. But But they also, David, I think they don't understand the idea of uh, you know the idea that animated the New Deal, which is that the government is an ally of the whole middle class, or even as Roosevelt used to say, the whole people. Uh, And and they 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 think of it as um, as charity. As government helping out the very poor, you know the the, the uh, people at the very bottom, and that's you know that's obviously an important part of it. But they have to understand that what made liberalism strong and what made it powerful was when government aligned itself with the whole people, the whole middle class, you know, not just the people at the very bottom. And that's what they cannot get their minds around.
1: Well, that's the point that I tweeted out earlier this week. I said something to the effect of the democratic party's two most popular programs medicare and social security are not means tested they're universal and they're pretty straightforward to understand and they the creation of them coincided with the largest most uh, sturdy democratic political majorities in the country's history it's almost as if there's a lesson there like there's almost <laughs> like a lesson in that <laughs> like yeah you know and, I, and and this this point about complexity i think is really yeah. important which is that again i want to like going to the psychological roots of this because the party is now negotiating against itself on the 1400 <laughs> yeah. checks it really does feel like they think that if something is too simple, like a, just give everybody $2,000 checks, by virtue of the fact that it's simple, it must be uh, stupid, it's shameful, shameful, it's shameful, shameful no. is the right word, shameful, and that by making something more complex, that makes it more valid and more have more merit. And it's actually responsible, more a, responsible, more responsible, it, but it's actually yes. the opposite. Well, scientists
0: have to be given something to do, Mr. Sirota.
1: That, you well, know. That's right. But it, I think here's my take. It's actually the opposite. And I want you to tell me if you think I'm wrong. That in politics, in, in many cases, complexity is the crutch of people who can't be creative enough to come up with simple solutions. It's either that or complexity is the way to avoid simple solutions that help more of the people that you're not really interested in helping. That's my theory.
0: Yeah, I want to say one more thing about this, and then we should go on to something else. And, but you're, you're exactly right about that. And one of the things that people understood in the New Deal days is the, the sort of the brilliance of simplicity. You look at the Glass-Steagall Act passed in 1933 uh, as a response to all of the kind of you know ep- epidemic of fraud during the 1920s. It's, it separated uh, investment banking from retail banking. Real simple. It made a structural separation between the two. Uh, you look at you mentioned social security. Now then look at, at the Obama uh, the Obama era when you know Obama comes in after a very similar epidemic of uh, of financial fraud. And what do they do? They do Dodd Frank. Okay. Which is the most one of the most complex pieces of legislation of all time. In fact, when Obama—I don't know what the state of it is now—they weren't done writing the rules when Obama left office. Do you remember this? <laughs> I of course. What, how how many of these rules there were, but there were tens of thousands of them. You know, writing individual rules for 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 banking behavior rather than just doing something simple like you know, uh, let's just let's break this industry in two. Or Obamacare, which is notorious for for its complexity, instead of doing something simple and straightforward like Medicare for all, which, look, ultimately, let's face facts, ultimately we're going to have to do as a country. It's either that or we're all going to have to go, you know, we're all going to declare medical bankruptcy sooner or later or our children are or somebody's going to, you know, this is it's going to have to happen. But instead, they developed this incredible, as you put it, when we were talking last week, this Rube Goldberg contrivance, you know, that is Obamacare, uh, you know, that that. <laughs> with, with the exchanges and all the different moving parts and nobody really understands it. And the complexity was deliberately part of the, uh, part of how it was designed. And I want to say, first of all, that these things are not better solutions. They're not more elegant. They're not more beautiful.
1: You know, uh, they actually fail. Yes. They're actually not good solutions. No <laughs> sir, simplicity. Honestly, like i i keep thinking about this. Like it's, It kind of reminds me that famous, maybe apocryphal, I think it was quote from Mark Twain, who said something to the effect of, I'm sorry, this letter has gone on so long, I didn't have time to make it shorter, which that by that, I mean, by that, I mean, it's the, the essence is simplicity is actually the hardest thing to do and to do smart, to do smartly and shrewdly that the Democrats, they seem to think Of it the opposite way that something that's simple has to be it must be coming from visigoths or from primitives who you know the simplicity is proof that you're dumb but actually the simplicity if you're doing it right is is proof that you're actually you've mustered the creativity or the political will to actually do what needs to be done and and i it's just it it, it really let's tie it
0: all tie it all together with one word which you hear in, in Democratic D.C. all the time as the universal word of approbation, which is smart.
1: Smart. That's right. They, oh, you know,
0: and and uh, you, you, economists use this word. Uh, bankers use this word. Everybody uses this word to, de- to describe things that they admire.
1: That's right. You're People, you're, people
0: you're, that they admire. You're not you know, doing
1: you're, right, the, the, the direct aid and, and, needs to be smarter by making yeah, it more simplicity, complicated.
0: Simplicity is not smart. So complexity is 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 by its very nature, <laughs> you know,
1: smart. Well, so let's pivot to the to the tax debate that's all, that's already starting in earnest because because, and the way to segue to that is one thing that I found interesting is that the conservative Democratic senators and Republicans who are saying we need to means test the checks or limit them uh, because we. We supposedly don't want to give money to millionaires and billionaires. That's, the, that's the, the talking point. These are the same people who absolutely in lockstep will reflexively oppose any effort to raise even one cent of taxes on billionaires at all, right? So their whole nonsense that they're really doing this because they, their real priority is not giving billionaires money is just yeah. complete garbage. But the tax debate came up this week uh, from the Washington Post uh, in a fact-checking article. Quote, I'm putting that in quotes uh, that we reported on at the Daily Poster about the, about the fact-check. But basically, Bernie Sanders went out and he he said something that wasn't even like, it's not even kind of debatable at all. He, he said, as he said a million times before, Donald Trump's tax uh, cuts mostly enrich the wealthy and large corporations. And the Washington Post wrote a fact-checking yeah, not article not even
0: controversial right it's Everyone not it's
1: not, a, it's, it's not controversial the post published this long piece about how it's actually not true that uh that rich people's tax burden went up of course their stat for that was that the overall uh total pie of taxes being paid in america slightly went up among the one one percent of course that's because the top 1% made more of the money it doesn't mean that they're you know more that they use the term burden but but what's interesting about this was and 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 this is what i want to get into with you about the truth cuz you wrote a piece about this notion of the truth what was so disturbing about this to me was not that bernie said trump's tax cuts benefited the wealthy and then somebody wrote an op-ed defending those tax cuts or Arguing that it wasn't necessarily as much as what Bernie was saying. But instead what happened, and what's so insidious, is that the Post, the paper owned by the wealthiest person on the planet, published this essentially op-ed, this punditry, uh, attacking Bernie over this statement of the obvious. And they published it on their news pages as fact-checking. And my view of that is, is what's going on right now, is that fact-checking was supposed to be the thing that cut through the age of misinformation, and we are seeing the newspaper of the wealthiest man in the world using fact-checking as a weapon of misinformation in order to inject opinion and ideology into the discourse by portraying it as impartial fact that's yeah. what's so disturbing to me
0: but they've they've been doing this for a while the, the the you'll often see this the the most tendentious sort of takes on uh you know whatever whatever it happens to be uh, will be phrased as fact checks you know that there this is not an op ed this is not an editorial this is a this is a statement of fact this is us just investigating the facts and uh, and giving them to you in the most impartial manner. You know, it's a kind of journalism that's supposed to be confrontational with liars, right? We're supposed to be awash in lies these days. And in fact, the Washington Post's uh, fact checker symbol is, you know, these Pinocchios, Pinocchio, remember the, the <laughs> beloved character from the Walt Disney movie. <laughs> and, uh, but there's a, there's a whole, uh, sort of industry of this within journalism, these people that go around as, as uh, militant defenders of truth who often turn out to be some of the, you know, pushing some of the most uh, argumentative, you know, difficult to defend, uh, uh, you know, lines out there, you know, the, the, the most, you know, clearly. Uh, opinionated sort of uh, 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 arguments out there. But this is, look, this is also the larger story of journalism in our time. You remember when, when uh, in the summer of 2016, when the, 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 the newspapers of America basically decided that they were going to be adop- the newspapers, meaning the two big ones, the Post and the Times, uh, I'm not counting the Wall Street Journal here, but the uh, the Post and the Times are going to adopt a new sort of model for journalism in which, uh, uh, you know, they were going to be more aggressive about Donald Trump. They were going to uh, call him a liar. Uh, they were going to, uh, uh, you know, when he got something wrong, they were going to say it, they were going to even add up his lies, you know, every time the guy uh, made a mistake or, or, and he did, he did, he did lie a lot. He was kind of an amazing liar let's not (laughs) let's not let the asshole off the hook here Mm -hmm, but this is this is journalism in our time it's it's this this even ever more extravagant claim to uh truthiness remember stephen colbert what he used to call perfect ever more extravagant claim to to truthfulness and at the same time uh you know openly uh uh mixing journalism and opinion writing and that's really where we are today. And and wait, I want to, it's gone one step further, which is that, that Biden, as you saw in his inaugural address, has declared that we're on a national, it's now a national issue, the war for truth. And he's going to, you know, I don't know what he's going to do as president to crack down on, on falsehood because like in a lot of ways, our entire culture, are, you know, runs on falsehood, <laughs> Hollywood, <laughs> Madison Avenue, you know. Uh, fiction writing you know what is he going to do about this stuff uh, but he's <laughs> well i mean but the other but the, other, the,
1: th- the thing with biden saying that just to take one one step back in, in one way i appreciate him saying it in another way i i find it hilarious i i appreciate him identifying at least and granted i think his motives were just to kind of to kind of shit on donald trump right that was his that was his motive but you know uh, fine
0: but, wait, just as wait, Jimmy Carter said this. Remember, I will never. But you're not old enough. I will never lie to you. He would say, and it was all to it was all, it was all too, to
1: Nixon, right? Just,
0: yeah, exactly. Right.
1: So, so I, I I appreciate kind of the, I guess, spotlight on on the idea of the truth, but of course, Joe Biden is like, has been a purveyor of some of this kind of brazenly, like, this was a guy who helped peddle the lies that led us into the Iraq war. He wasn't some backbencher who happened to just vote for the Iraq war. He helped create the political consensus for it as the leading, most high-profile Democrat supporting the lies that made up the case for the war. During the campaign for president, he, like, brazenly lied about... His vote, by the way, his vote for the Iraq War. At one point, he he sort of said he didn't really actually support the Iraq War. And to their credit, the CNN's fact checkers actually laughed at him and 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 sort of you know did the right yeah. thing. But he yeah. also that he he did this whole thing about how he had never tried to cut Social Security, which was just a lot of it's completely. Complete nonsense! And, oh, the uh, fact checkers backed him up on that, Mister Serrano. I remember. I was. I remember. And the thing that the thing that <laughs> boggled my mind about that was, and that's what what woke me up to this fact checking issue. Although, you know, I'd always kind of seen the fact. Wait, did he also he he also boasted about his imaginary heroics in apartheid South Africa? Oh my God! I mean, that was like, I mean, that was like a <laughs> fever dream. Like that. I don't even like. Can you even call that yeah. a lie? That was well, like. I,
0: I, 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 bet, I bet he did dream it, and then you know, it, as has happening to a lot of us in COVID, you mistake your dreams for things yeah, that you totally. actually did right uh, but, but, but here's the thing we all you, wish we were heroic in apartheid south africa
1: you bring up the the fact checking on the social security thing that was when i first was like wait a minute hold on a minute you there's literally audio of him on the floor of the senate talking bragging bragging like boasting like uh, four times i tried to cut or freeze funding for social security like this isn't even in dispute and the fact checkers jumped in to defend him and obscure his record and i was like wow this is like some real orwellian that, crap here. Is. this is like it, wait it, it also it, wait consider
0: the fact that so there's uh, the, the, there is no one more excited about the the war on falsehood than the newspapers than you know the two leading newspapers they are so excited to like swing into action and also liberals um so excited to swing into action and crack down on what they call disinformation and to uh, you know, get people deplatformed and you know, do all the stuff that, they, uh, that, that they're, they're, they're so jazzed to do. And yet these same institutions, I mean, you and I have both worked at newspapers before. You and I have been readers of newspapers all our lives. They get things wrong all the time. And I might add, I might add, we just came through like one of the biggest journalism screw ups of our lifetime, uh, which is Russiagate. A hundred percent. You you, you tuned in MSNBC or you, you know, you read between, you know, you read uh, various stories in these newspapers and it was all about Donald Trump was basically a Russian agent. Uh, You know, none of the, you know, there's, you know, there's all sorts of ways that Russia actually did interfere in the 2016 election that, but that wasn't the argument. The argument was that, that Donald Trump was a Russian agent. I
1: almost said Soviet spy. That's how old I am. <laughs> but, but, <laughs> that, uh, but, but actually, that, that gets, that, case, gets back, right? that gets back that gets back to the fact checking issue, which is this. So you're right. The media, the newspapers, these the supposed defenders of truth. Let's remember what's gone on. Let's use the the scope of of this era, right? The, we- the weapons of mass destruction lies they promoted, which helped us get us into a war. The lies of Wall Street, the deregulation uh, was oh, yeah. oftentimes... Uh, that was
0: close to their hearts. Close I mean, to, you like, look- promoted. I wrote a whole book about this, One Market Under God. All the stuff they said back in the, in the bull market days to encourage deregulation of banks. They, I mean, they loved nothing more than, well, maybe they loved the... Uh, Free trade agreements, right? You know.
1: So that collapses so those the, two things. That was like that was who they were, right? So that collapses the because you got WMDs, you got the triumphalist Wall, Wall Street triumphalist lies of uh, that created the financial collapse, and then you have the RussiaGate situation,
0: and yeah. and, and which and, was, by the way, remember why we got it, why the RussiaGate thing happened which was to excuse Hillary Clinton's defeat in 2016. That's right. That's right. And the funny thing is that we're now sort of going through this again, only is the Republicans who've gone absolutely nuts, right? Their champion went down and they can't believe it.
1: But, it, it, but then fact-checking so- is supposed to be the thing, like the last, like, hey, look, we know you've heard about the WMD lies. We know you remember the Wall Street lies. You probably tuned into the Russia Gate lies, but you know what? We still have fact checking here, to yeah. just give you the facts. And so yeah. when you see Jeff Bezos's newspaper, well, there's the key thing: who owns it? You know, look, who gets to
0: check whom? Who, who, you know, who is the, uh, who is, who, who is the, 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 the person entitled to check who? Well, well he, I, can we talk he about that for to a check sec? Who? He let's, gets let's, to check you. You don't. What is the mechanism by which you would check him? Well, we know what it is. You have to start your own publication, which which you have actually done. Well, and let's I talk about this for a sec
1: because I got some I got some pushback from folks who read our story about you know we basically said look, it's not a coincidence that Jeff Bezos's newspaper is using fact checking is is wrapping ideology and uh, opinion under the banner of fact-checking and the ideology and opinion just so happens to be serving billionaires and giant corporations like Amazon. In the case of the fact-check that we looked at, uh, you know, not a surprise that literally Amazon's tax rate goes to zero after Trump's tax cuts and now you have the Washington Post putting out a fact-check saying that somehow it's actually not true that Donald Trump's tax cuts benefited large corporations. Like that convergence to me, you know, Bezos ownership, you know, the ideology being put out underneath the banner of fact checking, that's all not a coincidence, but we did get some pushback from some folks in the media uh, you know, just in in my conversations, like, oh, you know listen, Sirota, you, you can't conflate ownership with what A newspaper is doing that ownership of jeff bezos is not calling up these reporters and telling them what to believe and my response was and i want to know if you think i'm right or wrong my response on that is like listen i don't think jeff bezos is calling up reporters in fact we wrote that in our story i think it actually works entirely the opposite way that people tend to be pleasers people know who pay their paychecks they know the assumptions that are baked into a corporation's culture—they know what will be rewarded and what will be frowned upon. These are unstated yeah, it's
0: incentives, of course, and and, and also the, the the kind of people that they hire in the first place. The but the idea that the, that a publisher of a newspaper has no no say—that's oh, that's come on—that's that's ridiculous. The uh, no, you don't want to go too far down the conspiracy theory uh, uh, line, but I, I just want to point out one thing. I mean look uh, take a step back here everything that you just said is 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 well known and totally fair journalism criticism right noam chomsky wrote a whole book of this stuff back in the 1980s um i'm blanking on the title of manufacturing it manufacturing right consent yeah right uh, where he described how you know how uh how newspapers decide how to cover things and that sort of thing uh, lots of other people have written similar things about it the idea that the publisher has no influence uh, is that's, that is frankly ridiculous. Um, but you don't need a conspiracy theory to explain it. You explain it in terms of incentives and rewards and, and, and who gets hired and hiring decisions, et cetera, et cetera. Just like, uh, just like you pointed out, you know, who, and, and there are, there are lots and lots of other ways in which money, I mean, Jesus Christ, the power of, of advertisers, as we all know, there's, you know, there's, Advertisers don't like to, uh, you know, they don't like to sponsor things that they disagree with. Um, you know, you go right down the list. There's a hundred, there's a thousand ways in which uh, they, they influence the way things are covered. The, um, I was, uh, you know, before we, before we got on the phone here, I was looking at, um, you know, there's all of these sort of, uh, journalism is crumbling as a kind of um, for-profit uh, industry as it has been for a long time, you know, lost all its advertising revenue. And so they're coming up with new models for how to prop it up. Right. And one of them is this sort of not-for-profit model. Right. You know, and uh, I was reading an article about, uh, you know, the, the the Gates Foundation, which apparently has all kinds of um, power over journalistic decisions, decisions about what to cover and how to cover things. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and, uh, uh, and they rarely appear in the story. I mean, look, the fact is we don't know what Jeff Bezos's power is because nobody studies it. You know, where's the, give me a foundation grant to study that and, you know, get me in the door and, and let, make me privy to all the conversations and then we can talk, you know, let's do a sociological
1: study of this. But but, but I think, ever- but I think the larger point is right, which is that it, it, again, if you know who the boss is, if you know what will be rewarded, uh, if you know what what will be punished, and if you are, pre you know, essentially you are originally hired by virtue of a filter that kind of is looking for a certain kind of person, at, at that point... Jeff Bezos or any other owner doesn't need to get on the phone with their reporter right, and say, course. I need you to cover this thing. or the... yeah, of and course. And by the way, the point your point about it <laughs> being on the news pages. He hires someone to do that. <laughs> right. And your point about it being on the news pages, because I'm focused on this fact-checking uh, a moniker because it gets put into campaign commercials and the like. But you're right about the, about the news pages themselves. I mean, here was a headline in the Washington Post uh, about the checks that – if you think about it for one second, it's like, you're like, oh, whatever. If you think about it for like a minute, it's like, oh, my God. The headline was cutting off stimulus checks to Americans earning over $75,000 could be wise, new data suggests. Now, the most amazing part of this story to me, okay, it's all this about like essentially the argument is that if over 75000 data suggests that people won't spend that money on, quote, necessities uh, quickly enough to stimulate the economy. But there was, at the very bottom of the story, there is a line that I want you, like think about this line, like think hard about this line. Here it is. After the whole case has been made, uh, data indicates most people who did not need the money right away, they're talking about the previous checks, data indicates most people who did not need the money right away are saving the stimulus payments or using them to pay off student loan, credit card, or mortgage debt. Okay, so the presumption <laughs> uh, that's the same is, thing. Uh, is that,
0: wait, wait, Mistress Rhoda, that's the
1: same thing. What do you mean it's the same that, thing? That is putting the money in circulation. Yes, but the but the actual deeper point, Tom. People who did not need the money, keep that phrase in your mind. Who did not need the money were using the money. To pay off student oh, loan credit card, or it, it, so like, it,
0: it assumes what it what it meant to prove.
1: Yes, like
0: that's so if that's you're, a, yeah, you're a classic if you're, a classic logical error that you come across all the time. Yeah,
1: like if you yep. if you need if you're paying if you're under the, uh, high high interest credit card debt, guess what you need you you need the money. Like yeah, yeah. it's incredible to me. Like that's like that's how tendentious uh, th- this is. It, it it kind of like I read that and I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. If you're Maybe gonna be thrown out of your home because you can't pay your mortgage. This yeah. is being counted as you not necessarily needing the money. Like well, it's just because they,
0: they they just they just defined it that way. No, it's uh, it, you know get back to this question of you know of journalism. It borders on the idea that the Washington Post doesn't have an editorial line and that it just it just prints the most deserving of views. <laughs> Which is just like I mean, you
1: can't help but laugh. When you think, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I mean, like you're right. Like, like they could have printed. It's, it's any- a
0: meritocracy of it's a meritocracy <laughs> of opinion, Mister Sirota. They only print the they only print the rightest.
1: They only print the. <laughs> I mean, right. We're the in the middle viewpoints. We're in the middle of like a pandemic, like an economic. People are literally being evicted, starving, bankruptcy, and you've chosen. I'm going to fact check Bernie Sanders saying that Trump's tax cuts went to the wealthy. Like, we must fact check that. And I'm going to publish a piece whose headline blares. Cutting off stimulus checks to Americans earning over 75K could be wise. Like, you could report on anything. That's what you're choosing to report on. It's like... It's the Washington Post, remember?
0: We started this conversation talking about what they think of as... The sign of a responsible politician is that they want to cut entitlements. They've been saying this uh, since wait since since I, I I started reading them in college back in the eighties they
1: were saying it then. Oh my god, you that know, word. Honestly, that word. Just as a, as an aside, I, I've been thinking a lot about that word entitlements. Which a lot eti- entitlements? Yeah. yeah. I mean, the amazing thing about that word, who, like <laughs> whoever created that that word, like, That's, it's, it's, it, not, it's a Reagan era thing, isn't it? It's so amazing because you've t- it's like you're so entitled to want yeah, to not yeah. be like in in poverty when you're old. Like you're so entitled to want to be able to retire like without just being kicked to the, like how, how,
0: how you're. It, yeah. It it, 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 yes. It's, it's like when you hear people describing, you know, working class people with the word privilege, yes. which you hear disturbingly a lot uh, yeah. nowadays. It's, it's the same kind of, um, uh,
1: uh, yes, it's the same. Thing. It's incredible. So the so to to close out Super Bowl Sunday. Yes, I'm I'm excited about the Super yes. Bowl. My Chiefs are in it. That's right. I forgot about that. Right, right. So Super Bowl Sunday, the big the if there was any buzz about it this week. Uh there's a new ad uh f- using a Dolly Parton classic song, 9 to 5. Yeah. And it's I'm t- sorry. I, I used to listen to uh
0: to um the radio when that song first came out. Wow, you really and are at- I really am old, and and uh, like the first time you hear it, it's kind of catchy. And you know what? The three f- thousandth time you hear it, <laughs> you are so sick of it. Nobody remembers what what like listening to FM radio or or whatever you call it, you know, uh, top forty radio was like back in the seventies and eighties. Just this it, this, in, this the monotony of it.
1: Oh, totally. You know, playing totally
0: playing the, the same songs over and over and over and over, always at the same time of day. Anyhow.
1: Well, so it's a sorry. classic song, 9 to 5, which essentially laments the workaday grind. And actually, if you listen to the lyrics, it it's a act, good song. It's a great it, it, song. And yeah. It, it laments, Objectively speaking, a good song. Yes. It, it it's about, a, it's about, hey, it's about the workplace. How many people sing about the workplace anymore? Totally. And it, and it kind of laments like the, not only the workaday grind, but like you're kind of working for the man. Yeah. Anyway, the new ad that's coming out from Squarespace, it, it got a lot of buzz, is that Dolly Parton tweaked the song. To a kind of a new version of the song to, uh, from 5 to 9.
0: Working 5 to 9 You've got passion and a vision Cause it's hustling time A whole new way to make a
1: living Gonna change your life Do something that gives it meaning With a website that is Worthy of your dreaming And the whole ad is basically about how you see people. Uh, uh, they're in in this kind of droneish, horrible workplace and office, and then the clock strikes five, and that's when they get to party at their second job, which is their side hustle. Yeah, <laughs> I love
0: it, don't right? you? It's 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 it's. All of those dreams of liberation that you know you used to see in advertising, you know, everybody's being freed from the bureaucracy, freed from the organization, etc. cetera, but to I, work their second job.
1: And what <laughs> I, I took away from my first so it's one again, another one of those things where like you think about it for one second, you're like, oh, that's 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 cute. Then you think about it for one minute, you're like, wait a minute. Like so so what, what this ad is saying is you know, it's and and in the, the positive aspect of the ad is you know it's sort of saying you should want to work for yourself not necessarily for some faceless bureaucratic corporation and you know you can debate whether but that's not an option for a lot of people but but what's really underneath this ad is you have to work a second job and you have to literally work 12 hours a day. And maybe that's a, by the way, somebody mentioned to me, that's a that's a charitable interpretation because maybe it's yeah. from five to nine the next day. Maybe you literally yeah. have to work 24, <laughs> 24 hours, hours, right? Like, to, sur- <laughs> to survive yeah. in this economy. Like your workplace isn't paying you enough to have a decent life. So yes. the minute you're done your first job, your eight hour a day job, Now it's time to celebrate that it's. You're not time to like happy hour, see friends, hang out with family. In 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 ads in the in the '60s, which is when you
0: you know you started seeing these advertising. Attacking the faceless corporation and all that. What you, uh, the way you would uh, rebel against it was by, you know, uh, going to happy, drinking Smirnoff, or driving right. an automobile or maybe doing both, you know, or or, or or dressing up in some fancy way, or you know, uh, having fun. And now it's you go to your gig job. Right. The, the way
1: you rebel against corporate America is to go. Work a second job, like like that's, that's like crazy. So, so, by the way, there
0: is a history for this too. I, I uh, when when you, you showed me this ad, and I went back because uh, I, I it, this you know rang a bell for me. And again, it's it was in the nineties. You saw this. There was a book that came out called Free Agent Nation. Do you remember this? And it was written by a, by a Democrat and um, uh, uh, a. Uh, uh, a sort of management theorist. Oh God, it's so dark. And the idea—the idea that <laughs> free agent nation, the idea that like all of this corporate downsizing that was going on back then, and you know people were losing steady jobs that had benefits and all this sort of thing—and the idea was to sort of flip the moral script. This wasn't something to lament. <laughs> this was something to celebrate. It was that's right, Mister Sirota free agency.
1: <laughs> <laughs> like, congratulate your pink slip is a, is a, is a liberation yes, slip. Right.
0: Yes. Yes. That's exactly right. That is how they, and it was in, it was in fast company magazine, you know, it's not a lay, it's not a. This. It's not it a was, mass it a, layoff. It's we a mass being, liberation. We were, yes. That's the word. We were all being liberated <laughs> from the, you know, from the corporate past, from the conformist days of the great organization, you know, oh. Which just happened to also pay good benefits and good health care and all that. But now they didn't need to anymore. They could they could slough us all off onto some, you know, cutthroat, uh, uh, you know.
1: Well, the genius of it is of this ad and the evil genius of this ad is that is that and and, and I want to be clear. I I don't want to blame Squarespace too much. Right. Because like they're just they're they're just selling their product into a kind of culture. No blame. This is all cultural commentary. It's all totally fair. So, but, but what's so like the evil genius of it is, is that this is how norms are created in this sense that, that in the past, and I'm not glorifying the past. But you know the idea of like the eight-hour workday and like you yeah. um, you the American dream and you can earn wait, you, you work wait, you should glorify that
0: people fought
1: really hard yes, for the eight-hour yes. workday
0: people got killed
1: yes and look the the, 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 the the song nine to five may be a lament about the grind of the workday but the whole idea is nine to five I work nine to five to earn what I need to have a middle-class life. That's embedded in that. And what this ad is basically doing, it's it's one little little example of how we've actually said, actually, the norm, and it's an acceptable norm. Now, a celebrated norm in this ad yeah. is that, no, you don't get to work one job for eight hours and then go home or go to happy hour or whatever. That, that the norm that we should celebrate is... Having to have two, three, four jobs, work twelve hours a day—it's uh, basically that is something that we should celebrate. And what's so disturbing is it's like it's like th- that's created a norm, and that that it's so subtle, and the the advertising is so good that. If you even bring this up, in some ways, a lot of people who, who won't think about it, they, you, you kind of sound like you're insane. Like it's like. Oh, like, stop it. It's,
0: it's, it. It works because it flatters a, you know, it, it, it works in, the, in a lot of the same way that the newspaper works. It flatters an understanding of, of what work is and how, you know, what our work lives should be like. An understanding of that, that, it, that is extremely widely held by uh, wealthy people. Yes, by people with power. Yes, Uh, they—they a lot of people think this way, and these tend to be the kind of people who, uh, you know, who uh, 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 buy books of management theory and Mm -hmm. who patronize. I don't even know what Squarespace is.
1: (laughs) So it's it's like a website. Like you create your 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 home your your own website.
0: For the part of this that really gets me down is that there are also people that 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 are going to be pissed off by this ad. You know, you think we were talking earlier about people that died for the eight hour day, you know, I'm talking about union members and they're gonna see that ad and they're gonna see through it. They don't make ads for those people. I mean maybe they do, a like the Budweiser ad or something, but but those people don't get to own newspapers. And those people don't get to, you know, go down to the ad agency and hire the super creative innovators or whatever.
1: <laughs> Although I gotta tell you, they're they're airing it in the Super Bowl. Yeah, um, and, and, you know, so it's a, it's a, it's, I think
0: the, great, the greatest of advertising, the great advertising show place. Yeah. Of and, I,
1: and, and, and so, I mean, I, I used just, to
0: have, back in my, you know, I used to be an advertising critic. This is what I, I did. And uh, we would have Super Bowl parties where all we watched was the ads.
1: Oh, I remember <laughs> that. I totally, like, it was a, yes. And the, and the thing, the, look, the thing is, if you really want to understand the creation of, the, or what you might call norm making, norm creation, the actual creation of culture, culture being all of these assumptions of what's good, bad. Really watching the the Madison Avenue and the the advertising industry, that that is what they do. They I mean there's a cliche, they create ne- you know desires, they create the yeah, perception of, of what's they, needed.
0: And they create an understanding of what is I think most insidious is an understanding of what liberation looks like.
1: Yes. And,
0: and what, you know, and, and, and they, they, they will, this is what I I used to write about when I wrote about this. There's a, you know, um, I got to stick to a narrow subject here, which is advertising. It works. One of the ways that it works is by, by getting one step ahead of us in our disgust with modern society and saying, you know, and and look, a lot of people, it, it is easy to hate, the nine to five job. That's uh, the Dolly Parton song, right? It, it is easy to hate that. And the job is conformist and there are too many rules and they make you sit at a desk and it's really unpleasant and you're working for the man and, and it's, and the bureaucracy is intolerable, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they, they take that very human, uh, uh, impulse understanding and they twist it to, to, uh, be, you know, a pro gig economy. And that's, diabolical okay right. but it's not even like it, it's not meant in a diabolical way this is just what they do on on Madison Avenue they take it's a kind of so one of the my the sort of grand um, question of my entire journalism career I, as I always say what does a- what does a society look like that doesn't have a traditional left and one of the things is you get Trumpism you get inequality you get people like Jeff Bezos and you and you get Uh, Madison Avenue, speaking to your, uh, you know, the kind of impulses and emotions that would once have made you sign up for a labor union now has
1: you like signing up for Squarespace. (laughs) I mean, it really is. (laughs) Whatever that is. I still don't know what it is. I mean, it's really, it really, it really is dark. I mean, it's really like. It's, it's, or maybe uh, word dark, uh, Mr. Throny. You're probably that you're just not, you know, you're not looking on
0: the bright side. Right, you well, know? I'm not, I'm, you, I'm
1: not celebrating. When you, the...
0: when, you get, when you do get that that two thousand dollar stimulus check, David, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take it down to the to the broker, and I want you to invest in GameStop. There and you Mr. go, Mr. Throny. You're going to make a million dollars, and then you'll see no. everything
1: very differently. But Tom, you know what I'm, I'm I, I would do with it? I, what I would do is I would I would. Log on to Squarespace and and <laughs> and start my 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 twelfth hour of my day so that I can never oh, yeah, see yeah. my wait, family. Wait, what would you do? You'd like pump up some
0: stock, right? You know, you'd buy some shares in something, and then you, <laughs> and and I would I would <laughs> say goodbye to my family.
1: To I would say sorry, talking kids. Talking
0: to people into buying it, spend hours and hours and hours trying to pump it up and make clever memes about how
1: awesome it is. And, I mean, I it's it's just it really it really is dark, but but. <laughs> That's why I thought it was important to call it out. And that's why, you know, as we conclude here, I think it's important for people to just when you watch the Super Bowl ads, just really, really try to think about what the ads are actually saying to you. It's almost like I mean not to be cliché about it but it's almost like that movie They Live, right? Where you put the glasses on and you're like, "Oh, wait a minute. What are they at? What, what what am I actually looking at?" It really is like, what are these ads actually saying to us? Cuz if you think to, if you really do think hard about them, they they're like that's how they they inject thoughts and and impulses into your mind. And in our article, by the way, we included this reference to this letter that's fascinating from um Dwight Eisenhower was talking about propaganda, and he was talking about how to produce good propaganda to influence uh, 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 folks around the world to be more pro-American. And he actually put his finger on it. He said, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he basically said, you've got to uh, have it be in the pop culture realm, music, the arts, entertainment. And because those are essentially the realms where people's political filters are down, they're not – like if you you see a political ad, right? You know what you're talking about. Yeah, you're like, oh, this This is political, this guy.
0: The CIA was was bankrolling – literary magazines and exactly. abstract expressionism and stuff like that.
1: That's how they uh, get to you because that's when you're most, you're, you're, you're not filtering it out. You're like, Oh, that's just an they entertainment. Were winning
0: the, they were winning the intelligentsia of the world that, uh, persuading them that America was a civilized country. Yes. With, you know, and
1: that is still going arts. on today. That is what the advertising. industry. Hey, can,
0: well, let's end on a positive note. I was, uh, I was four when the Kansas city chiefs won the super bowl in 1970 um trying to who did they play who did they it was the vikings of course wow Len dawson was the chiefs quarterback i thought i I am old i thought he was the greatest the greatest guy in the world i know nothing
1: about the chiefs other than that i remember when i was a a philadelphia eagles fan there was a guy on the chiefs named christian okoye who was a who's a really hell of a running sure that's all yeah that's all that's all i really know uh, I I'm not sure I'm going to be watching the Super Bowl. Oh uh, come on! I probably will. I guess I guess I I probably will. I probably will. Well, listen, man. This was a uh, good to talk this week. Um, there what? Look, let's just to review. There was some good news, like the pushback against Larry Summers. I'm yeah, gonna. I, I'm
0: starting to have warm feelings about uh, the Biden administration. I, I don't
1: I'm, don't get it. Don't get don't get.
0: I know, I know I know. My cynicism always kicks in whenever I say something like that. Yes. I got to walk it
1: back. But. Better signals coming out of the Biden administration at this point in in the presidency than the signals that were coming out of the Obama administration at the same uh, time uh, in their uh, in their presidency. And and you know what? It's Friday. I'm taking that as a good thing. And uh, thanks for doing this, Tom. And we will do it again to, again soon. OK. All right. We'll talk Bye. to you later. All right, man. Bye.